Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney, over there Steve. Hey. And today we are back to hitting the RPG-related stuff with the latest NPC generator for Delta Green. <laughs> uh, that would be Dennis Detweiler's... Impossible and, Landscapes. Thank you, Impossible Landscapes. Had it written down on the facing page. All right, so this is a campaign uh, for Delta Green, naturally. Which is weird in, in and of itself. Right. Uh, for those of you who don't know, and I can't believe that anybody listens to this show that doesn't know what Delta Green is, but it is a modern-day conspiracy government uh, black bag operations against the mythos. Right. More or less. It's, a, it's about a secret government conspiracy within cross-agency that uh, pulls in characters who have had experience with um, Yogg-Sothothery, mm-hmm. etc., and puts them on um, similar to to the Shadow War in um, Invictus. Golden Goblins Invictus. Um, yep. but, but the, in this case we have FBI agents, police officers, CIA spooks, that, that kind of, um, milieu. Uh, people say it's like the X-Files for Call of Cthulhu, uh, even though of. now it, it's, it's its own game. Right. But, uh, Impossible Landscapes is the final, um, stretch goal from the original Delta Green Kickstarter from way back a long time ago. In the before times. Yes. Um, it came with what I personally believe was uh, a little bit of spin doctoring on the part of, uh, of the author um, who said shortly before it was released that they will, that, um, Delta Green doesn't publish anything before it's ready. It was like a big Orson Welles house so no wine before it's time i thought that, that bartles and james <laughs> no no it was um it was orson ernest and for... julio gallo that's what it is yes yes um and in in my humble opinion it came off as a little uh standoffish Kinda, kinda, a little, uh, little the, the tweet talking down to to uh, fans and whatnot, people who have been eagerly anticipating the release of Delta Green material. However, this is number six on Drive Through RPG's uh, top ten as of ye- this morning, yesterday. Yeah, and, and it's not, um, you know, it's it's not as if it, it's weird that he like that he tweeted that because it's not as if Delta Green Art Dream has been idle with this Kickstarter. I mean they have right. been steadily putting out materials that was promised. I mean, yeah, it took a while, but it, it was a lot of material. And, you know, despite, you know, we're not gonna publish shit before it's ready to be published, you know, they I I wanna believe that uh Shane, the, the, the publisher, Shane Ivey, uh, wants quality. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I just, I, I just don't figure it. Maybe people are like, it's about fucking time. So he went on the defensive or whatever. Well, authors and publishing and all this other stuff, it's a fucked up kind of business and a lot of, a lot of odd personalities. Yeah. I guess, I guess if like when the internet is involved as well, you, you can get immediate clashes of personality as opposed to, uh, you know, clashes of personality that, that, uh, slowly gesticulate over months yeah. of communication black. <laughs> uh, it is to laugh. All right. Now with the aforementioned and, uh, statement in mind, Oh, well, go ahead. Actually, there is a caveat. I did participate in the Kickstarter, but did not, um, did not pledge enough to um, have gotten this particular uh, add-on. So, uh, so you got it so, for the GM's Day sale. Yeah, I, I, I actually purchased this. So, okay. And full just, disclaimer: just so he like, shared it with me, so we have content for the show. Right. <laughs> so, all right. Now, with great. all of that. All of that perfunctory material, uh, the TLDR of this review is... We're changing the name of the podcast to Rodney and Steve Complain About Everything. Uh, no, I was just going to say the TLDR was... Huh. <laughs> Damn, I jumped the gun. Spoiler alert! <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, so... You know, we don't publish anything before it's ready to be published, and... Huh. We don't complain about stuff before it's ready to be complained about. Now, now, granted, I was, I was actually interested in getting this one. I don't really have much desire to play Delta Green. Um, but I was intrigued with this because it is King and Yellow related, and... Why I bought it. Right. And... We have a we have a nice relationship with uh, Carcosa and Chambers and Joe Pulver and all that stuff around here. And I was already swimming in the Lake of Hallie to an extent when uh, this came up. So I was like, yep, I'm, we're going to drop everything and just do this. <laughs> we're doing the Humpty Dance. Over the here. Humpty Dance. Stop what you're doing. Because we're about to ruin... Yeah, All right, so go ahead. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, since this, this was uh, your purchase, and and I'm gonna let you lead off. All right, I will lead off with just the phrase "motherfucker." <laughs> <laughs> All right, God. There, there is a lot to take in with this. Yes. Um. Just a, a quick overview. Uh, Delta Green has a history via um, John Tynes of their own version of how um, King and Yellow, Haster, Carcosa, all that works. Um, there's an excellent essay um, in uh, Countdown for the original Delta Green project when it was when it was a um, a source book for Call of Cthulhu uh, that that where Tynes talks about um, the relationship 
of Haster the King in Yellow, how campaigns uh, could be structured uh, for a Delta Green King in Yellow campaign, um, the nature of Carcosa, uh, some highlights of things that he like um, has been had been fiddling around with in his mind. Um, and it's, it's an excellent essay. And if you have a chance to read it, like I said, it's in the book countdown, which is available in PDF from drive through. Um, that was published in, in the late nineties. And it was a revision of something that he had already published in, um, their magazine unspeakable oath back in the early nineties. Um, so you basically had this 10 year period where Tynes had written some short stories and really had a good grasp of what he wanted um, the King and Yellow thing to be in his mind. Mm-hmm. And in the introduction to this book, uh, Tynes even says that he had all he had run things through play tests and and everything and ultimately gave it up. Flash forward 20 years, right? 20 years? Uh, yeah. And we have Dennis Detweiler taking over uh, the King in Yellow aspect of, of a Delta Green campaign. And really what he did was, unfortunately, nothing really new. Right. Um, he takes... He really doesn't even build on the foundation that Tynes had um, started, but he really just solidifies what Tynes had already done. And there's a section of Tynes's, um, his his essay where he structures uh, how a King Yellow campaign works. Mm-hmm. And that is this. For the most part. And it's unfortunate that like in 20 years, um, what we have is what we already had. Mm -hmm. And that it's disappointing, I guess, is the best. Right. Uh, So much so that the more than uh, some campaigns, which are, you know, a single story told through chapters. This is a single story told through uh, four smaller scenarios. Yeah, uh, and we're going to try and be spoiler-free on right, this. Right, right. Um, I'm going to say right now that that this is probably an unpopular opinion. <laughs> like you said, it's uh, number six on Drive Through RPG right now as we're recording this. Um, I have not read a bad review of it, so... Uh, we're going to be spoiler-free out of respect for people who want to run it right? or want to play it. Mm-hmm. So, And if you want to play it, play it. You know, Yeah, just, I mean, we're too weak. Right. This is just what we thought of it, reading it, and having multitudes of years of experience running games. and Right. And that's the approach that I took when I was reading through it is – would be the the read that you take in preparation to prepare to run something. Yeah, that's that's unfortunately or fortunately, I guess it depends on how you look at it. That's how I read all this stuff now. Right, right. How how it would how easy it would be to, to run what you would have to do to 
to actually run this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and of course, with with every what every great GM does, what part of this can I steal for something else? That's a whole <laughs> that's a whole different topic. Yes, and we'll get to that point. However, this is four separate uh, scenarios, uh, LinkedIn theme. Uh, but because of the uh, the premise of Delta Green, you're expected to be rotating characters in and out of each scenario where, you know, something like, oh, say, Two-Headed Serpent or something like that, you might have characters that last throughout the whole. It, it's it's kind of meant to be a meat grinder of sorts. Oh, it's, it's, it's totally a meat grinder. <laughs> there, there's like one-shot kills. Mm-hmm. in here um with nothing between the agent and oblivion as um like a hard luck roll right I, I, you know it's definitely a meat grinder and detweiler himself has gone on record saying that um if if the possibility of dying isn't there it's not it's not good it's not a a, a good horror role-playing game hmm. um so it's not pulp. Right. God forbid Dennis Detweiler writes a pulp thing. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. you The cards are definitely stacked against the agents, which is weird because it is a campaign. Mm-hmm. And in theory, uh, the way it's structured, it starts out with a scenario called the Night Floors, which um, is also a 20-year-old scenario that's been uh, re-kajiggered to fit in more closely with, with the campaign overall. Is that an industry um, term? Yes. Rika jiggered. Rika jiggered. <laughs> <clears throat> That's the official. I mean, it's mostly used in Australia, but you know, I think it's going to catch on in America. <laughs> um, so long story short, cause I, the, the original, the agents go through this initial scenario, the night floors and experience Carcosa. To a, to a certain extent. And that sets the stage for the psychedelic horror right. <laughs> that um, un- unfolds. And once those characters are gone, you kind of like take them, A, the motivation, which is unclear in the, in the first place, but B, you take that, that connection to Carcosa away from the agent you take the history away from them and any character that you're going to replace them with unless it's an npc from that scenario which you can do it's it's not going to be as uh, effective i guess Mm -hmm. um for for that character now player wise yes player wise that that's different but like story-wise player-wise or character-wise, no. And one of the reasons that Delta Green was created in the first place was to have a, um, a continuity um, for characters. And I, I want to say Massive Nyarlathotep, another meat grinder. Mm-hmm. Um, so they wanted to have like a, what's a good reason why all these people are dying and people are continuing to search for 
for the Carlisle expedition. Well, it's because now it's, you know, it's a government conspiracy. So they just throw more agents at it, which works for a story like that. Mm -hmm. But a story like this, it doesn't because everything is personal to the characters. Right. So having it as a meat grinder kind of like puts a hamper on it. I think Mm -hmm. just in terms of the continuity. I, I would I would definitely agree, and there it's also designed um, possibly more so than than a lot of other similar genre of campaigns and adventures. Uh, you know, I jokingly said it was an NPC generator, but uh, just the fact that there is an almost constant sanity loss throughout the campaign is every time you turn around there's a there's a sanity loss whether yes. it's 1.1d4 there's a couple of big sanity losses uh some of the sanity losses are just unavoidable right so it's really kind of you know if you don't die physically chances are you will lose all your sanity or you will reach the apex of corruption and and become an npc Right. He, now, he does mitigate this a little bit. Um, so if you are in... There's certain circumstances where you're not in reality, mm. or if you suffer um, insanity due just to you know dice rolling, sand, sand loss, mm. uh, you don't feel the effects until after you come out into the real world, so to speak. Right. So he, he, he does mitigate that, but if you if you slip to zero, your character's lost. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yes and no. Right, right. You lose out. You lose out on some role playing opportunity, but the the ever present threat of losing your character to the madness of the weird is yeah. is there, and and that's that's also an ever present threat of any type of. Call of Cthulhu derivative type of game. No, it is, but the, the problem, <laughs> it's another irony that in the beginning of, of Impossible Landscapes, they talk about um, how to pace horror games. Mm-hmm. Uh, how there needs to be periods of normalcy uh, followed by sharp periods of shock mm-hmm. and horror, but Shock and horror can't be overwhelming, or you just get inured to it. So um, it, it's more they, they want it structured like a slow burn, mm-hmm. right? But but definitely with periods where you go to the grocery store, or you have to file reports, or, you have to go and, to Jimmy's and, baseball game, right? And Delta Green um, as a system has a mechanic in place to take care of mundane stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like quick role-playing vignettes and you regain uh, willpower and stuff uh, by talking to your, like, they call them bonds, but you have friends, family, whatever, workmates. Um, Unfortunately, the way this is structured, um, once you get into it, you're in it. It, yeah, it becomes like kind of breakneck, and you don't have uh, those those uh, period those lull periods, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, and I get like towards the end of something, it should start coming more faster and furious, right? Mm-hmm. The, the challenges should be more challenging. The horror should be more horrifying. And when you pass obstacles, it should be more gratifying. Right. Um, unfortunately, like just because the pace is breakneck pretty much from the middle of the second uh, scenario onward, mm-hmm. um, it kind of like, it, it kind of like, it's not a slow burn. It's just a huge fire with a lot of fuel. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the quote unquote downtime is kind of front loaded into this thing because between the night floors and the second scenario, uh, which is I forgot to write us uh, volume of secret faces, twenty years pass. Right. So now. Now to meta game this a little bit to just pop it up a level. Twenty years is a really long time, so mm-hmm. you can hand wave that twenty years, right? Mm-hmm. Where the events of the night floors will be not twenty years fresh in the minds of the players, maybe in the characters, but not in the players. Or you can run other stuff in between then, then and now, right? You mm-hmm. know. Um, and run the risk of killing the the principal characters who this is all going to happen to. Right. So it's that, that gap is kind of problematic. I think, I mean, I get it. It's like a cool idea. Um, there's no real advice, I guess. Yeah. There's no real advice as to how to handle that. And that's another complaint I kind of have about, the way everything is structured is and there's a lot of cool suggestions of, of things that you can do, but no advice on how to uh, implement that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I found while I was reading that there was a lot of detail in minute things and a lot, not a lot of detail in, certain situations that were central to the actual running of the main storyline of the campaign. Right. So you would get to a location, a major location, um, with really no, no, uh, clear instructions of what you're supposed to be doing there. Mm-hmm. Right. Or even if you have clear instructions, right, you're supposed to be doing X, how to go about that. Right. Mm-hmm. You're just like, here's the, here's, um, the situation. Here's the NPCs. Um, here you go. <laughs> right. Right. It's, have, have fun. I, I think, uh, you initially described it as kind of a, a sandboxy railroad. Yes. And, and I, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, given that, yes, there is a lot of information. This is a, not, you know, counting the the covers in the PDF, you know, this is a two three hundred and seventy page book. So even if you take out like the index and the front matter and the covers, you're still looking at almost four hundred pages of material. Mm-hmm. Uh, to put that into context, Two Headed Serpent was two hundred and seventy pages, counting the front matter and shit like that, right. give or take. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, almost 400 pages, 
that is a lot of material. And but a the campaign what's that? A lot of names you gotta a lot, remember. A lot, lot of relationships. names. A lot of relationships. Uh there it's just a lot of information, yet the the primary bit of the campaign is pretty much from act one all the way through to the finale to, to continue kind of the play metaphor that comes through a lot in the campaign itself uh, is basically on the rails. You know, certain things are going to happen regardless of what order you do things in or, you know, what side paths. A lot of times the side paths that it suggests really bear no fruit at all toward the, the main thrust of the campaign. Right. Uh, it seems like a lot of the stuff is put in there for shock and awe mm-hmm. and for sanity drain. Right. Um, and, and some of it, some of it, yeah, it pertains. Some of it's for in jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you call them in jokes, but um, there's, there's uh, in the beginning, it's, it's suggested that the effects of Carcosa travel are, are disregard time. Mm-hmm. So there's this uh, premise that um, what you do in the future can affect the what happened in the past, right? Which is which is great, but how does one implement that in a role playing game? Aside from cutesy things which happen in here, like you look down a a, a laundry chute and you see yourself at the other end from uh, two scenarios ago. Whoa, right? You know, okay, that that's cutesy and it's clever, but is that really like what was promised? No, the only way you can actually have a future version of yourself or a future or future events affect the past is to literally play it out of order. Play the future first, or you do a lot of retconning. I think you could you can do clever retconning, or so because this thing is, for all intents and purposes, on rails. Mm-hmm. You know that you know shit that that is definitely that is going to happen, right? That has to happen for the story to move on, right? Mm-hmm. And you can use those points judiciously. To have to have um, the characters see their future selves doing something, or have the future self warn or talk to the past characters, um, because maybe it's not going to happen in the future, like in play, but close enough for rock and roll, right? Right. Um, yeah. Time shit like that, like, is really problematic. In and in, in fiction, let alone role playing, where anything right. can happen. Right, you set yourself for up for all kinds of of trouble once you start adding things like time travel. The time, you know, time travel has to operate by whether it's passing information or something like that. It has to operate according to a certain set of rules, and those rules have to be established before the concept is introduced. Yeah, well, kind of. Not really here because, you know, Carcosa is randomly random and 
freaky and right, right. It's a it's a vector that goes both forward and backward in time and loops in on itself and right. So so you have described as an Ouroboros that that not only eats itself but vomits itself out is uh, how it's described. Right. (laughs) Go ahead and uh, wrap your mind around that one. Yes. Now we talked. We talked a bit about anorexic Ouroboros. Yes. Um, bulimic. Sorry, bulimic or bulimic. Um, we did talk about the sheer volume of information. Uh, one of the things that I found while I was reading was that it's structured kind of like the questions board in Justice League Unlimited, where there's a bunch of notes and photographs and stuff with little pieces of string on thumbtacks leading from one to the next, to the next, to the next. And you find yourself having to, you go to a certain page and then you have to go back. To, it's like, who, who was that? And, and you find that a character is now an important part of the plot, but was mentioned in a sidebar three pages ago. Yeah. It's, um, it's bad enough on with PDF. I can't imagine in print, like having to like flip back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Doing and, all that. And that puts a lot of lot of prep time on the GM. Um, yes. I was trying to estimate uh, just about when I was going through the night floors how long it would take me to prep this for session one. And I figured to because you have to go through from page one and basically organize everything in a way that makes sense to you mm-hmm. as a GM. So I figured I'd have to work on it uh Every day, probably about an hour a day for about three weeks before I'd be ready to run in first session. Yeah, I would. I just kind of wish that there was more uh, just ink spilled for aid, aids to GMs, mm-hmm. um, like advice on how to run, how to like cut through all of the information you're getting. Um, you know, even like a flow chart, um, a, a relationship chart, mm-hmm. just something like that. Now, an actual board with pictures and string on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing: like the the original, well, not the original, but the massive Nyarlathotep that I ran for you guys mm-hmm. was the third edition, the complete massive right. Nyarlathotep, and. Uh, that edition has a book that's like three times the size of the of the campaign itself dedicated to uh, jam aids. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of uh, made made moot mm-hmm. with the latest edition of Masks, which I'm currently running for my son. And that has um, charts, flow charts, clue charts, clue flow charts, um, you know, advice on, on NPCs. When somebody, when, sorry, when an NPC is mentioned, it says where they come up in the text and where talking to them should lead. And, you know, a ton of useful information. Right. That, and you really need these sorts of things when you're running a procedural game. And Delta Green is a procedural role-playing game. 
Yes. And, and just any, something like that would help. There is a history um, in the beginning of it, mm-hmm. but it's just, it's just text, right? It's just boom, boom, boom. This happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. Then there was this incident, which consists of blah, 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 blah. And sometimes these guys and gals pop up later on. Mm-hmm. Um, so the context is really, it's there, but it's kind of hard to, to grasp. Right. And just anything that makes it easier, especially in something this large, it's, a, you know, it's almost 400 pages long. Um, and I get it that, you know, doing that stuff makes it cost more to print. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it also makes it cost more to print the way it's laid out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so for those of you who don't know, like, both of you, the new Delta Green stuff has this uh, like secret agent dish file oriented layout mm-hmm. where there's like pictures. Um, everything is printed over, you know, pictures of files or torn out pieces of notebooks or, you know, um, it's, it's actually kind of amazing that uh, the PDF that I have, loads really quickly because you would think of something like this um it would like just kill the refresh rate right lots of uh, uh layers and well, stuff well yeah for like massive nyarlathotep it's the pdf is a chore because it has all these layers and it, it takes a second or two for everything to load up and it freezes and yeah and this this loads beautifully and which is weird because it's like the layout is all over the place with like little JPEGs and mm-hmm. and everything on there. So, yeah, it it that I, I was kind of impressed with the size of the book uh, loading as quickly as it does and and scroll being able to scroll up and down and page back and forth and and not have to sit there page back and it's blank for like forty five seconds and then everything yeah. loads in. Yeah. Um, you know that it ran it. You know it as a PDF, it ran smoothly. Yes, but I'm just saying that when when this gets printed, it, all that all this great looking, I guess, um, uh, layout is going to cost money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think that it's going to retail for sixty dollars. I believe the cover price was sixty five. So on the, on the back so, cover. For for a hardcover, and I believe the normal price for the PDF is thirty two. Yeah, so I, I think that like maybe they could have um, taken a taken a little out of the uh, layout budget and put it into a flowchart budget, mm-hmm. uh, just to have something that 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 is an aid to people who want to run this thing. Now, let's speaking of design and layout, let's talk about uh, one of the other uh, kind of striking and distracting features, and that is the margin notes from a pair of the NPCs that are prominently mentioned uh, that show up throughout the book. Yeah. Uh, I get what he's trying to do there. That that it's it's a you know the whole purpose of the campaign is the blurring between the agents' real world and and the world of Carcosa. And so you have this kind of layout and artistic choice that kind of blurs the line between 
the handler's real world and the game world, but it gets distracting with this much information that the GM has to process for there to be uh, liner notes from NPC characters within the actual uh, game mastering text of the module. Yes, it's the uh, the Delta Green version of Volo. Mm-hmm. And God damn, is one of them just obsessed with anagrams and, and they're bright blue and red and they draw your eye right to them and, and, and really there's lines all over the page and it gets really distracting when you're trying to absorb this much information and put it into a context for for play. Right. I agree. I mean, it is amusing also, you know, it's 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 kind of a double-edged sword. Yes, I get it. I get the joke you're trying to do here. It's funny. I like it. Functionally, it's awful. Right. No, I, I hear you. And, yeah, I actually I have nothing to add to that because I agree with you 100%. <laughs> Put that on your, your calendar, ladies and gentlemen. I can't think of a, a defense for, for doing it like that. Um, it, it, but it kind of, that's kind of how this whole, whole book works. Kind of. I think they, it, it like just ends up doubling down on everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could um, offer a defense for it, but I would have to spoil it as well. So, you know, I can't really throw the defense. Yes. Out. It's very meta. It's very meta. Um, but it, it as, as things go on, it gets more and more uh, concentrating more and more of like the little details of things where the big picture is maybe um, not paid attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the best example I have is you have these three, actually all four settings have like these, uh, these manifestations that can happen, mm-hmm. right? Uh, where... Uh, one or more of the agents uh, will will start to like, for lack of a better term, hallucinate. Mm-hmm. Not quite there, but you know, close enough. Um, and there's like what maybe like twenty or thirty of them written in the night floors. Mm-hmm. There's a number of them, um, and they're very appropriate for that scenario. Yep. Then when you go on to the next one. 20 years later, um, the same pool of manifestations is available to Mm -hmm. you. There's nothing new. Uh, So your consciousness, your connection to Carcosa, which supposedly is is getting stronger and stronger as the campaign goes on, remains like functionally static with the manifestations that happen. and I, I just think that it could have been, you, know, you could have maybe taken the, the pool and take the, taken the ones that are more appropriate for later uh, scenarios mm-hmm. and, and divided it up like that, maybe. Or you could have come up with new shit um, that was more appropriate for the different settings and your level of connection to, to Carcosa. Right, right. King in Yellow. 
And and I would add to that that uh, Double D should have taken a hint from from the uh, role playing game that shares his initials and gave us a goddamn random encounter chart. Yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, that is one thing I was missing. Every time these manifestations were brought up in the text, I was like, man, I wish there was like a, this needs a random encounter table. And this particular part of the mechanics of this campaign would be fucking fantastic if you had just a chart and with mm-hmm. all of those manifestations uh, indexed by maybe by page if you added to them or there were other situations in later on in the book that you can cross reference in. Right. And just you just when it time, you roll. And and that kind of also adds with the theme of of the kind of just randomness of Carcosa itself. Right. The wacky randomness of Carcosa. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the other thing. <clears throat> Is this version of Carcosa to you particularly menacing? No, not, not, not really. I, I didn't find it menacing at all. Yes. I didn't think that a lot of the imagery being used was particularly creepy. I guess it, some of it was creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, but not like horror creepy, right? Right. Or if it was, it didn't build enough to something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really don't want to like spoil any of it because you know it, it might be creepy to, to somebody. But let's take um, something that for some reason people think is universally creepy, but your mileage may vary. Right. Okay. And it has nothing to do with this. Let's talk about clowns. Right. Okay. I don't find clowns particularly menacing or creepy at all. Uh, you haven't seen me in my makeup. Okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, individual clowns. Yes. I mean, John Wayne Gacy was probably a creepy motherfucker. Yeah. He's, he's got some terrible but, makeup. But um, insane clown posse does not creep me out. Right. Uh, the Joker really doesn't creep me out. No, it's, it's like clowns don't. I don't, I guess I just don't have that trigger <laughs> for clowns, but for some reason, clowns are considered universally, um, creepy. And you know, now they're like almost synonymous with like some creepy shit. Now, don't get me wrong. If I were to look out my window and see some guy in a clown costume just standing there right. in the middle of the road, that would be kind of creepy. But not because he's in a clown costume, right? It's because he's standing across it's- staring at your windows. Exactly. Exactly. And you don't have that here. You have you don't have somebody um looking out their window and seeing that clown, you have people lost in a netherworld um, who have these weird encounters in a situation where you probably think, oh, weird encounters. That's pretty par for the course right here. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it's it's the, context. Yes, very much so. Very much so. Um 
the the other thing that that shows up in here a lot that is also considered to be universally creepy, uh, because there are clowns that appear. Uh, one one in particular, but marionettes show up a lot in this campaign. Yeah. Um, and I one of the, that's another thing I don't really find marionettes creepy. You know, no. I. For the benefit of the audience, I was once a birthday clown when when I was younger. Uh, so really, kind of the whole clown aesthetic. Really, it's you know kind of my thing. <laughs> Here I am saying, "Well, you don't scare me, Rodney." Right, but yeah, so it's just like. Okay, that actually for for me having a clown in those moments actually adds a bit of familiarity to the scene in in quest scenes in question because yeah, okay, he it's a clown and doing kind of sort of what I used to do. <laughs> right, but marionettes are the same thing. Marionettes aren't creepy out of context. Right. And they're there are some some suggestions as how to use these marionettes that yeah they that that's creepy, mm-hmm. but it's all in the uh, quote unquote real world mm-hmm. stuff, right? Right. Um, you go back home, talk to your wife, and she's a marionette. Ah, that's creepy, right? Yeah. <laughs> when you open up a door and there's a room full of marionettes. And they're just, they're marionettes in the door in like the weird Carcosa area. So, mm-hmm. right, right. And yeah, I, I guess, I guess I understand that some people get kind of freaked out by marionettes. I mean, even a skilled handler of marionettes, they have a disjointed sort of movement, that sort of thing. But I don't, I don't know. It just seems like uh, really kind of. Are, are you familiar with the game We Happy Few? No. No? Uh, for those of you who are, that is the kind of aesthetic, I think, that that this vision of Carcosa presents. Um, this is kind that of the, like... What's that? Uh, would that be the cover to Rush's A Farewell to Kings? Because that is the aesthetic. Kind of, sort of, yeah. Except there's more uh, psycho psychotropic medications. Involved in We Happy Few. Okay. But, uh, yeah. That that sort of thing. And it's... It's one of those types of settings. That, that quasi-Victorian... Uh, ruined city sort of thing. That really... Doesn't feel ominous. Uh, there's a few instances... Where the descriptions almost border on whimsical... Uh, <laughs> Maybe that's from uh, Double T's time working on um, Invisible Sun. Uh, possible, I guess. I I don't know. I wasn't gonna go with that, but <laughs> but yeah. I mean, uh, it's almost you know, it's almost like some of the things that you'd see would become silly. Um, you know, clowns, marionettes. Uh, swimming through clouds, 
Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of thing. You know, it's, it's, yes, it's trippy. Yes, it's kind of psychedelic. Um, and even, even a little bit on the surreal side. But I really don't think the, the descriptions and the setting and the events that occur within the setting really give a dreamlike quality to it. Yeah, some of it, some of it works. Some and of it works. I mean, some things some, work, a lot of things don't. Yeah, and you're right. It, it is more surreal than um, than scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, <clears throat> have, being a, a veteran of the psychic wars, I will say that there is a fine line uh, that you can cross where that surreal can become uh, nightmarish. Mm-hmm. Um. But that is a psychological thing, and I just don't know how you would would uh, express that to players. Now, yes, maybe your agents are freaked out, right? But that's no fun <laughs> to freak out fictional characters. Well, how okay. Do you, like, how, how do you make the players go? Oh shit! I got it. I got it. Halfway through the night floors, you inform your players that you just dosed the Doritos with six hits of acid. <laughs> <laughs> well, see now that wouldn't do it. But if you were to actually dose the Doritos, well, exactly <laughs> with some window pane. It's like. No, it's Carcosa, man. You got to put the brown shit in there. <laughs> that pizza you had, the mushrooms, they were mushrooms. So they were, they were the kind of mushrooms you always joke about them being. I, I just, I just think that I know what he's trying to do. I think he, he wants the Carcosa mythos to be not what the Cthulhu mythos has, has turned into, right? Right. And I get that because there's definitely some overused tropes in a lot of Call of Cthulhu stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you don't, you want to have something different. You want it to be, because it is different. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you read, you know, Chambers, it's a completely different feel than reading Lovecraft. Yes. Or Durleth. Yeah. <laughs> but um I don't and, and I get why why you would want it to be like some sort of psychedelia kind of thing. Uh because there's you know a lot of the uh non-pulver stuff that's uh King and Yellow fiction uh tends toward that, like Carl Wagner or Wagner. Mm. Um you know, and, and James Blish and stuff tends to go a little bit in that direction. Mm-hmm. Just, I, I don't know if this is a very successful way of of having uh, psychedelic induced hallucinatory horror um, translated into a role playing game. All right. Now, speaking of, you, you've invoked the names of uh, what Paul recalled the canonical stories. <laughs> now, King and Yellow gripe about this. Do you have one? 
do I have a gripe about you know, how the king in yellow is used? Yes. Yeah, the king in yellow is like some boogeyman in this. It's just like, you know, it's that's he's a boogeyman. They come down to it at the end. Um, it's the thing that it's the equivalent of um, of Pyramid Head in Silent Hill mythology, mm. right? Uh, it's there. You don't fuck with it. It fucks with you. Uh, but it's definitely a presence, um, and they really lean heavily into the second act of the play that has never been written or whatever. Right, which ties um, into my big gripe. And so you you get this. Um, it's almost a combination of the of that. I wear no mask, king in yellow. Before I wear no mask, so it's like there's this big menacing presence that can one shot you mm -hmm. uh, just by looking at you. Right. Um, and and you know that's kind of like mm, I'd rather have it be like an off screen thing, you know, that's always like you're always looking over your shoulder for. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna like totally break away from the way you know Cthulhu stuff happens. Why? Why have the, the monster at the end at all? True. When it could just be a just a presence, a, a threatening presence. I don't think they make enough of that. Um, I, I think they could have done like a lot more to increase like the paranoia because one of the one of the ways that a good trip turns bad is paranoia. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that maybe that's the key to to making the psychedelic horror uh, really like hit home is to jam up the paranoia, not just like uh, because you you're being chased by shadow um, agents or whatever it, it ends up being, but have like NPCs who are trapped in these various settings um, make them paranoid. Right, mm -hmm. not just like ho ho ho. I'm looking for my my bottle. Ha ha ha. Right, mm -hmm. like have it be urgent. Have it be if I don't find my goddamn bottle, the king is always looking. You know, something like that. Mm -hmm. Something to like really just like put that pressure on. You. Right, right, right. All right, uh, sorry. Don't 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 show the puppet master's hands. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Use Why the marionettes uh, that appear in the story. Yeah, you don't need to. Right. It's like no theater. You know, those guys, they wear black, but they're moving stuff around on stage all the time. You're not you're not supposed to notice them. Right. Well, that's the, not, no, that's the, uh, the puppet stuff. Yeah, well, that's also, well, in no theater, they also, the uh, stagehands wear black when they switch props and stuff uh my big king and yellow related pet peeve is quotations from the second act i'm sorry but if the second act is supposed to drive you mad there is nothing you can write as a quote and you know apologies to to, to was it blish who it was james blish to to blish but he doesn't care. He's dead. Okay, good. Apologies to James Blish's ghost. But 
no written word is going to have the effect that leaving the second act completely unknown to everyone what it says. It's like it cannot be repeated. It cannot be uh, published, basically, outside of whatever madness drives the, the writing of the play. Right. And there are several quotes from the alleged second act scattered throughout the campaign. And for me, it really kind of breaks the threat of the second act is to have some rather dull uh, quotations <laughs> from the supposed second act. Now, for the folks who have gotten this far into this <laughs> review. Who haven't just like said, fuck you guys. Right, and gone off and bought it to look at it yourself. And we encourage you definitely to do that. Um, one thing you liked. Um, I liked a couple of things, to be honest with you. Um, I, I, I sat around complaining about like how the psychedelic horror doesn't really do it for me or how it's not, um, implemented well, but like a lot of the suggested, uh, manifestations mm -hmm. are pretty cool. Right. Um, I, and I think that they work um, in a less is more kind of way. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, I, I would I would use a lot of that. I would use that stuff um, in in regular Call of Cthulhu games just to ratchet up tension, mm -hmm. not and not like judiciously, just to like kind of put it in there. Like uh, especially if you have. Um, you know, somebody loses their shit in the middle of a battle and they start hallucinating, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's a good place to put something like that, right? Right. Um, and that's really cool. I think that's a that's that's definitely uh, worth the price of admission for me. Okay. Uh, just to have that tool there. Uh, one of the things that I liked about the, the inner workings of the campaign. And I don't know if this is a mechanic within standard Delta Green, but how certain things happen depending on the level of corruption of your agent. I want to say that corruption is a mechanic just for the king in yellow uh, to, to um, separate it from just run-of-the-mill sanity. It, I think that represents your close your your relationship with Carcosa. Mm -hmm. uh, it's because it, a it's a secret mechanic. Um, the agents themselves don't know what their corruption level is or anything. I, I, I want to say that it is specifically just for this to to make um, to make the king in yellow more um, threatening. Threatening, but kind, yeah, or, or just to 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 have a, a way of having people who are more far gone have worse things happen to them. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was the that was the mechanic that really stood out to me as being really interesting. Was how if your corruption was at X level, you open the door and it's a toilet, and if you have more than that at certain levels above that, you can open the door to the heart of a black hole. You know, 
or you know directly into the throne room. If you're those aren't actual examples, I just made those right. up. But yeah, I like that mechanic of of having Carcosa um, really influencing you and actually changing the landscape of events. And that would be hard to carry through and build the entire campaign around that mechanic. But I think that's kind of where I would start is gaining and losing corruption and how the world interacts with those who are further gone. Right. Now, go ahead. I'm sorry. The other thing I was going to say that that has, I guess, precedence in chambers, mm-hmm. um, just in in the four was it four or five stories right. that um, that he wrote in the King in Yellow that are you know canon, mm-hmm. um, where you have characters who see things that uh, norms don't, right. for lack of a better term, right? Like Kildred, mm-hmm. uh, the, the the guy who sees the Specter of Truth or whatever it's called. In the yellow sign, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so they have like this corruption in their mind or whatever, and and yeah, it does open up vistas for them. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that's that's it's totally clever. All right, so there you have it, ladies Wait, and gentlemen. Well, well, one, one more, more thing that, one more sorry, thing. One, one more thing that I enjoyed about this. And now, ladies Spice and gentlemen, Spice. it's time for Steve's one more thing. True <laughs> confessions. Um, it actually turned me on to these the short stories by uh, Times that mm-hmm. he wrote, uh, which are actually pretty good. <laughs> so, um, well, I love they're, fucking they're, King and Yellow. So let's uh, we'll, we'll let's hit those, man. They're they're really hard to find, unfortunately. Um, they they are a couple of them are online. Okay, um, but they are uh, Broadleben. Is one of them. Ambrose is another, and then there was a third, which is name eludes me because I couldn't find that one. Um, but yeah, they were really cool stories. Uh, a lot of the plot elements and characters were taken from these stories. Um, so the 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 source material is is actually pretty solid. There you go. All right, now. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, our look at Impossible Landscapes, a campaign for Delta Green by Dennis Detweiler. Uh, it is available through Drive Through RPG. Uh, it, pre-orders it, at Arc Dream. Pre-orders at Arc Dream. We'll have links in the description. Check it out if it's something you sound you might be interested in, or if you're a hardcore conspiracy and Cthulhu fan. Play it, love it, have a good time, and as always. Keep 30 left points. Not that it'll do you any good in this one.